Heavenly Father, we love you. We cherish you for all that you've done for us. And we thank you that you truly are the great I am, that you have done so much to give us hope. And so, Lord, I pray that we can just focus on your word this morning and thank for all the lessons that we learn from the power of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay. As I mentioned, we're going to get into this theme of bread, and so to kind of get us in the bread mood, uh, we're going to have a little contest here, and the winner will receive this homemade, freshly Heidi Baines loaf of wheat bread. Trust me, you're going to love that. Okay. Or if you're really Christian, you can give it away, but you can keep it if you want. So anyway, here's what I need you to do. I've got a couple of judges. Is Amy coming up? It's okay. So here's the first one. So uh, remember, this is the key is 50, the number 50. Okay, so in 1959, two states, two states, uh, became the 49th and 50th state in the United States. Now, if you think that was Alaska, or you think it was Hawaii, so let's do this. If you think it was the state of Alaska, which is the 50th state, stand up. If you think Alaska was the 50th state, stand up. Okay. Anyone else? Anyone else that you think Alaska was the 50th state? Good. Well, you're all wrong. Okay, so anyway, it was Hawaii. So for all of you, here's the big question, okay? Okay? And this is why I need the judge, okay? So Heather is going to, it's the very, and you got to stand up. It's the first person who stands up, but don't stand up unless you know the answer, okay? Just so you know, first service, a little sluggish. So I'm hoping you guys do a little better than this. Okay. Okay, ready? In 1950, 1950, who was the president of the United States? Truman is right. All right. Ken, Ken Healy gets a loaf of bread. Let's give Ken a big hand. All right, if you got your Bibles, we're going to plow into two texts this morning, Leviticus 23, John chapter 6. So Leviticus over there in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 23, and then we're going to go over to John 6. So we're going to cover quite a bit of ground here with those two scriptures And I want to let you know, uh, again, why this is so important. We are going into a series called Celebrate. And what we're doing is we're going to look at the next five weeks leading up to Easter, uh, the Jewish festivals. And it's, it's an unbelievable study. It really is. If you look at the Jewish festivals and then you fast forward to the life of Christ, you really begin to see the parallel. And you begin to see... Uh, when Jesus said things like, I am, and then all of these things, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, it all makes sense when you look at these amazing festivals. So if you're taking notes, here's just a few of the things about these festivals. There are seven festivals on the Jewish calendar, seven of them. And of those seven, uh, we're going to get into five of those, and they're not going to be the exact order, but just to let you know that that's what's coming, we're going to get into five of them. Here are the seven festivals, Passover, the festival of unleavened bread, the festival of first fruits that Tobin spoke of, Uh, the one we're going to talk about today is called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, the the festival of trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. These feasts, they would set their calendar on and they would, uh, literally, it was a way to draw people back to God. It's a critical time on the Jewish calendar. And there were three, what they call, three great pilgrimage feasts. And if you look at those three feasts, what I love about that, it's the story of Israel. So let me give you a quick example of those three. Israel was rescued from Egypt 
That is the Passover feast. Then Israel meets God at Mount Sinai, and they learn from the word of God. Their lives begin to take order. That's what we're going to talk about. That is the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And then Israel wanders in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. But they always remember that wandering, and that's called the Feast of Tabernacles. There is a rhythm in their year. And you know what? If you think about it, we have the same rhythm. I was thinking about this the other day. Think of all of the, the major holidays that we have. Sprinkle in with those major holidays. Don't you think it's odd when people visit our country and we celebrate things like Groundhog Day? And I think about it. I mean, it's just it's a confusing calendar. But we would relate that there is a rhythm to the year, and we look to the bigger, what we would say are festivals. I asked for a service, like, if you could define a festival, how would you define a festival? So when you hear the word festival, what comes to mind? Anyone? What was that? Happy. Anything else? Festival. There we go. See, this group is just as sinful as first service. Okay. Yeah, they were talking about corn dogs and you know, elephant ears. So when you think of festival, it's not real spiritual. Uh, but this is extremely spiritual. It meant a lot. And just for, uh, just for your information, this is kind of interesting. If you look at the gospel book of John, what John does is he takes the life of Jesus and there are seven I am's and he also covers the seven festivals that the disciples follow Jesus on. These festivals really are Truly a big deal. So this morning, we're going to talk about the Festival of Weeks, and then we're going to talk about the significance of bread. The Festival of Weeks, what does it even mean? Turn with me to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, starting with verse 15. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of wave offerings, count off seven full weeks, Count off 50 days up to that day, and after the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two tenths of the finest flour, baked with yeast, as a wave offering of the first fruits to the Lord. And present with this bread seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. And they will be a burnt offering to the Lord. And together with the grain offering and the drink offerings, a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs for each of the Lord's wave offering. And together with the bread of the first fruits, they are sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. And on the same day, you are to proclaim a sacred assembly and do not have regular work. This will be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreigner residing among you. I am the Lord your God. So let's just walk through what's going to happen they have this introductory day, and then they have this amazing 49-day period, and then they have this celebration. Now, what they're doing is that 49-day stretch, that would be what we would consider the time that we plant in our world, 
It was a time when they prepared the soil, they planted the seed, they were waiting on God. Think about all the times in your life when you're waiting on God for something. And he's teaching them a valuable lesson. And what he's teaching them is, you're leaning into me for your provision. And the most basic provision was what? Bread. Bread. That's why they said they had a wave offering to start this festival, because they wanted to know, you're praying for God to provide for us even the most basic things. Here's how the week began, excuse me, how the festival began. It began with absolutely no work. Then they offered two loaves of leavened bread. Then they offered a burnt offering. Then the next thing, I love this, that the priests offered a meal offering, a drink offering, a sin offering, and then a peace offering. You're like, man, that is a lot going on. But did you notice the sequence of what's going on? In essence, it's like we're going to deal with your sin. We're going to deal with it. Whatever it is in your life that you are disconnected from God, you need to reconnect with God. And over these next seven weeks, they're like, you just need to focus on, am I right with God? Am I right with God? And did you notice the last offering? Then you'll have peace. That hasn't changed in our lives today. I guarantee you right now, some of you, that's what you're dealing with. You're, you're concerned maybe with global peace, but let's be honest. It starts with, are you at peace with God? And if you're not right with God, here's the deal. You're not at peace. There is no way. So those priests were lifting up this peace offering to say, you haven't eaten today. You're going to go through this seven-week stretch. Every day you're crying out to God, Lord, I pray that the harvest will come in. And every day you need to remember he's in control, you're not, and if you don't get that straight, you will not have peace. Now, for every guy here, I want you to write down this text, Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17. In that particular text, he's talking about this ceremony, and listen to what God says directly to the men. He said, first of all, that at this feast, the men must appear. They must appear. And then it tells us to the men, and do not come empty-handed, bring a gift. Isn't that interesting? These three major feasts, the men were required to be at every one. Like, you don't miss that. So what's that have to do with life today? I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. Uh, If you get upset, take it up with God. But here's what I've observed. This is just my observation. Growing up in church, working in church for over 30 years, the spiritual influence in the church is it men or women who have the greatest spiritual influence in the church today? It's women. Now, some of you might say, oh, that isn't true at all. I'd say hang in church for a while. I mean, I look back at my home church, and I look at who really had the spiritual influence in the homes. So for every guy that's here today, can I personally thank you for being here today? Because there's a million places you could have been, but you came to church. And let me just tell you, the impact of just being here, showing up, is a big deal. It's a huge deal. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation with Claudia Mitchell, our women's minister, and she'll talk about marriages and tension. And she said, John, I can't tell you how many women, more than anything else, wish that the men in their lives took very seriously their spiritual walk. So what's God say? 
you better show up. And my guess is they showed up. I don't know. My guess is they showed up. And he noticed what he said, don't just show up. Don't show up empty-handed. Bring your best. Because God is saying, I want all men to set this example. It's huge. And then there was this period of time, I love it, that again, those 49 days that they watched God do what only God could do. Matter of fact, look at verse 22. This is so like God. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, so God is saying, if you're right with me, the harvest will come. Do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for who? What's that say? The poor and the foreigner. From the very beginning, God says, do you remember what your mission is as a nation? We find it when he talked to Abraham in Genesis 12. You're here to bless the world. Now, this is a big deal because every day we can bless somebody with just the little things that we do. And it is a huge deal when we take those opportunities to help someone else. Last week, um, uh, it was Saturday night. This is when I know God's got a sense of humor. So Saturday night, it's about 9.30. I got my Bible, you know, because I'm such a spiritual guy. So anyway, I thought I'd better probably write a sermon. So anyway, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to bed around 10. You know, I'm, I'm a very eventful guy. And, and uh, my wife is on the phone talking to my youngest daughter, Danielle, coming back from Chicago. And I can tell by my wife's tone, we're headed up to Chicago. I mean, I could, you know how you can pick that up? And she goes, well, Danielle's about an hour south of Chicago. And she pulled in a gas station, and she uh, uh, had a guy come up and say, hey, you got a really low tire. And uh, she said, okay. And then he's, he just drove away. And it hit her. I'm not sure I know how to put air in the tire. So I know what you're thinking. I can't believe as a dad, you didn't teach your daughter how to do that. And so she called Marie and said, okay, just walk me through how to do it. So you ever instruct somebody how to put air in a tire? So I'm like, take a little thing. So I said, first of all, is that a seedy place you're at right now? I mean, is this a place? And she goes, yeah, it's a little seedy. Go to another. Go to another place. So she did. And, and she, she gets to another place, and she gets the thing out, and she still, now she's so frustrated because she can't get the air to go in the tire. And then she started crying. And out of the blue, a van pulls up. Now, Dad doesn't want to hear that, you know, but anyway, a van pulls up. And a foreigner, could barely speak English, said, are you okay? And then he said, she said, the greatest thing, the windows open, and all of his kids started waving at me. And she said, no, I'm not okay. And she started crying. And she said, I, I feel so stupid. It's so cold. And, and he goes, I'll, let me do this. So he put the air in her tire. And she drove away. Now, here's what I guarantee 10 years from now. She'll forget the guy that sold her. Hey, there's, there's a problem there. You don't have air in your tire. She'll forget that guy. But the guy that showed up, that just took five minutes of his life to help a girl that was honestly just terrified, she'll never forget that guy. We have an opportunity all the time. It's right in front of us to do this very principle, to practice what God put into motion, said, hey, don't always be thinking about yourself. You get to the edges of the field, just leave that there. There's folks that are poor. There are folks that are needy. There are foreigners. There are people you may not even understand, but your responsibility is you be a blessing. You be the light that God has called you to be. You be the bread, the substance for somebody in need. Now let's talk about the significance of bread. 
Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And just to give you a little bit of background as we get to verse 25, uh, the day before this particular text, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Bread and fish, and you remember the story, he took a very little, he, ex- he multiplied that, it was, it was amazing. And then Jesus, remarkably, after he fed the 5,000, pulled away from the crowd because the crowd, it's estimated, walked 10 miles to get to Jesus. They're going to do anything to draw near to him. Jesus pulls away from the crowd, goes up on a mountain, prays over who knows what's going on in the world, connects with his heavenly father, looks out, see Galilee, he sees the disciples, you know the story, huge storm, walks on the water, Peter walks on the water, he's been up all night, imagine this, the next morning the, the boat pulls in and all these multitude of people now come up to Jesus. Now just picture that, you've been up all night, you've fed the 5,000. What do you think the very first question would be if you were one of those folks that are following Jesus? Man, how can I surrender my life to you? No, first question, how did you get here? Seriously, how did you get here? Because we saw them go out on the boat, you walked up, and you're on the boat, and they're, they're trying to figure this out. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus never answers the question directly. He will go into a really what I call the deep water of teaching. He pulls them in. And here's what Jesus, in in just a moment, you're going to understand. He realizes that the heart of every man, they understand the significance of bread. You're going to see that. Now, I don't know about you, but I I don't like bread. I love bread. Is anyone like that? I love bread. Have you had the Panera Cinnamon Crunch Bagel? Oh, man, that is so close to heaven. I mean, I just love bread. Matter I know how this started. It's when I was born. So if I have my baby picture, I want to show you. Um... Let me pull that up. Here's the thing that's scary. When I was born, yeah, look at that fat kid. Look at that. You can't even get a head. You can't get a head on that noggin. I mean, I was nine pounds, 14 ounces. I nearly killed my mother. She was 40, nearly 42 when I was born. And I, the rumor has it that my first words were Wonder Bread. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it might have happened. And I remember that my nickname, till it was around two, and I don't remember this, my my siblings all told me, uh, we called you Hoss from Bonanza for two years. No wonder I've got a complex. And so I changed my nickname when I was four years old to Big Bad John. I love that name. Now, here's the thing. I'm not the only one that's passionate about bread. You love bread. My daughter, uh, I mentioned Danielle, has a wedding coming up in 13 weeks. And so guess what? I've got to cut out the bread. I hate that, you know, because I love it. We need to understand how important it is to listen to these words of Jesus and the significance of spiritual bread. Starting at verse 25, And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? They can't understand it. Verse 26, Then Jesus answered, I tell you, you're looking for me not because... You saw the signs that I performed because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, let that sink in. Do you see what Jesus just did? He said, I know why you're here. 
you want more bread. I fed you, and now you want another free meal. There's more to life than just another free meal. And then really what he's saying there is, you know, God has sent me, and if God has sent me, I'm the very son of God. Now pick it up in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of the Lord is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And so they ask him, what sign then will you give that we may see, that we may see it and believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now think about that. They're looking at the Son of God, and they're saying, hey, what do you got? Why don't you show us a sign? Now, don't you wish sometimes Jesus was sarcastic? Probably not. But don't you think he wanted to say, you want a sign? Were you here yesterday? I mean, seriously. And I just walked on water. Beat that. You know, I'm glad I wasn't Jesus. I would not have done a good job. But I love the fact that Jesus is reining them in. He's like, wait a second. You are so focused on the physical. And when you talk about God gave you manna from heaven, don't you realize that God has just sent me from heaven for you? Now, look at verses 34 and 35. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, would you say this with me? Let's read it together. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, I think of that woman at the well. She's talking about physical water, and Jesus said, no, I can give you water, and you'll never thirst again. And in the book of John, as I shared, it covers these seven festivals. You know what else? There are seven I am's in the book of John, and this is the first one. I am the bread of life. See, Jesus does the same thing for all of us. Jesus looks at our lives, and he realizes that mankind always has this issue. Here's the issue. Somehow we think if we get more stuff, it'll fill the void in our lives. We love stuff. All of us love stuff. The problem is, just as St. Augustine said, every person has a God-shaped vacuum in his soul that only God can fill. Only God. Dave Ramsey has this quote, and I love it. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Because somehow we think if I can just purchase this, I'll be happy. Matter of fact, uh, last night, my wife, my daughter, they said, Dad, I really wish Amazon didn't exist as far as you knowing about it. Because if you ever notice, I don't even want to buy it. I just want to know what it costs. So I'll go in there like, hey, did you know? And, I'll say, and they're like, why are you on that all the time? And I'm like, no big deal. Think of us, we love to just find out what things cost, and in the back of our minds, if I could just purchase this, that'll fill this void in my life. And then you purchase it, and what happens? Well, I really need to buy something else to really help with that first thing I purchased, and the list goes on. Matter of fact, some of you are probably dealing with this right now. You got something in your mind, and you're thinking, I want to get out of church because I want to buy something because it'll fill the void, and then we're like, why didn't it fill the void? Because it never will. Fill the void. Only 
Jesus Christ can fill that void. I want to just close with this. It's a, it's a link I'd love for you all to research in the future. It's all one word. It's called ilikegiving.com. ilikegiving.com. And are just these video stories of uh, life-changing generosity. Normal, normal people that just decided to do something, and their stories really are just so moving. Well, here's one I'd like to share, and her name is Allie Eastburn. Allie Eastburn grew up in a really dysfunctional home and didn't even realize it as she was growing up. She didn't realize that there was a reason why her dad had these extreme emotional roller coaster feelings and that sometimes he would actually disappear for weeks at a time. Sometimes he'd be really low, which was most of the time, and then every so often he'd be just extremely excited and high. And then as an adult, her mother finally told her, so well, your dad had a serious gambling problem. And when things were going well, if you notice, your dad was always pretty excited, but when he would disappear, we never knew if there was even a paycheck coming back. And she said that went on for years and years and years. Matter of fact, she said, my, my memory of my dad was he was in a really good mood, and he took me and my sister to a toy store and said, you can buy as much as you want, and you can buy anything you want. And she said, I remember loading up that cart thinking, it doesn't get any better than this. Except what it put into motion was she realized the only way she felt accepted is if she could get stuff. So when she got married, she said it just went to a whole other level. And imagine this. So she picked out her engagement ring. That should have tipped the husband off. There may be a problem. She picked it out. It was 1.5 carats, a white diamond. And she wanted to have that on me because that would show the world I got all the stuff I needed. And she said it just kept going on and on. We got into serious financial difficulties. We went bankrupt. We went all these struggles because I could never fill the void. And then she really came to Jesus Christ. And she was at a retreat. And the, the leader said, what would happen if you took something that's very close to you and you sacrificed that to help somebody else? And she felt God say, you need to sell that ring. So she started talking to her husband. And uh, his first response was probably, it's about time. But he said, well, if that's what you feel like you need to do, let's do that. Well, she kept talking to her husband for six months. Finally, he said, are you going to sell the ring or not? You've talked about it enough. So she went and got it appraised. It was worth $20,000. And so she sold the ring. And what she did, which I think is so cool, is she went over to Africa and she took that money and she helped dig wells for fresh water to help kids. And she realized, wow, I can't believe that that had me in bondage. Now, I'm not saying today all of you leave here and sell your wedding rings, okay? Wait till at least Tuesday to do that, okay? But what I am saying is you may have something in your life that just has you right now. It's stuff. There's a possession that owns you right now, and you got to say, God, are you really the bread of my life? I mean, are you really where I draw my life from, or am I hung up? It's got to be something that I purchase, because if it is, that's something we need to wrestle with, all of us, because it gets all of us. It's the world that we live in. So I just want to challenge you today. When you read that, I am the bread of life, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? Let's, let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and you are the bread of life. And 
we can pursue so many things in our life and we can just have garages and homes full of stuff. And then we walk away and we still feel empty. Lord, it's because we've not connected with the eternal God the way that you encourage us to. So Lord, I just thank you for bringing the bread of life. I thank you for giving us hope. I thank you for filling the void in our lives that only you can fill. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.